welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome to this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and this is a very special live recording at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. In this episode, I sat down with Joy Behar, who is just leaving The View, as well as her own show on current TV called Say Anything, to produce and star in her first play, which she's writing, um, which she talked about for the very first time on the show. So you'll get to hear about that, as well as the New Yorker's TV critic, Emily Nussbaum, who is just a beautiful writer in her own right and has also brought a level of erudition to television, which is in its renaissance right now. Comedian Janine Garofalo and Stacey London, the fashionista who hosts TV's What Not to Wear, which is also actually um, sadly coming to an end, too, after a very, very long run since 2002. I did want to add that I had Rob Lathan, who so sweetly joins the show when we do it live in New York. He was modeling clothes for Stacey London because I can't stand when you have these female models on shows, so I had him modeling my clothing, my grandmother's furs, and then I also had him in my Spanx under a bikini, and part of that is because I feel like it's taken a lifetime to just get comfortable with the cellulite and the sagging and the boobs not being in the right place, and I always have such an uncomfortable feeling with these ideas that you're supposed to wear a push-up bra or Spanx or somehow hide who you are. It's also just false advertising. Like, the person's going to come home and notice. But I think it does a disservice to mainly women. Men do these things too, which is just um, sad because you don't have to. Don't go down the negative road. Like, we, we, there's enough self-hatred for, I mean, women have to get rid of it and then I just get even more sad. I'm like, really? You're succumbing too? Stacy has a very different idea about Spanx. She worships them. And I wanted to thank Chris Sullivan and Greg McMurray and Eric Viando for being just a fabulous band. And to everyone who came out, it was such a joy to have everyone there. So without further ado, please enjoy Employee of the Month. Oh my God, I forgot to thank Petunia Vandertorp. Please go to Vimeo or my YouTube page, Monkeys Are Adorable, to check out Petunia Vandertorp's series. She hosts the On Time show with Petunia Vandertorp for puppets who are also stuck at home. And yes, you heard that correctly. I said puppets. Without further ado, here are my interviews with Ms. Joy Behar, Emily Nussbaum, Janine Garofalo, and Stacey London, live at UCB. Here's Employee of the Month's July edition. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the femaleest Employee of the Month, your boss and mine, Miss Katie Lazarus! Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you guys. Thank you to our gorgeous house fans. Shockwave, Eric Biondo, and Gray. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. I think we're the only guys on the show tonight. Maybe. 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 Um, we're so excited to have you guys here. This is a talk show about work and labor, and I assume you guys have some type of employment, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So I'm really glad one of us is working. <laughs> it's really good. I am also so glad it was freezing today. Such a relief. I feel like my Con Ed bill is now on par with my rent. I want a gift certificate to Con Ed. I, uh, I was in LA for pilot season. I was living in a shed. And uh, I went to this one fancy, fancy Shabbat where they all... all <laughs> no one made less than like a million something. I think uh, Transformers, whatever comic books this with all these white men uh, did. And they all went around and shared on this beautiful Sabbath evening, they all went around and shared what they felt enslaved by. 
at one point, <laughs> let's say someone directs something like Transformers, uh, they he had like, what are you up to? And I was with well, all the pilots I'd been up for didn't get picked up for writing. So I was like, well, I've been living in a shed. And he's like, why would you live in a shed? You can get a house for like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. What, what about shed equals like mortgage approvable? Um, <laughs> but it, thinking of being around these people who are so out of touch, it, ma- it made me inspired for our sketch. We've done sketches about uh, get rich schemes. Get rich schemes. We've done uh, busy cards. Busy cards. So I thought this time we would do Kickstopper. Kickstopper. Small startup. If you like this show, please, if you're a sugar mommy or sugar daddy, please give. You can go to the employee of the month show.com to find out how to give. But there's been like a lot of celebrities going on Kickstarter and raising money. And like, I get it if you didn't have millions of dollars, like, I would totally understand. Or if you were giving to refugees in Burma, Darfur, I mean, there's so many places you can give back, but not giving any of your money and raising from people who make one eighteenth of you seems a little insincere. That's a nice way to put it. And then I saw that Spike Lee was doing the same thing. You invested in Nike when they were like, <laughs> had child labor, and were like, yes, we have child labor. And Spike Lee was like, great. Um, but it just like occurred to me. I just felt like, why is he doing? Why is he doing this? I don't think he's doing the right thing. So then I realized, like, to do a Kickstarter campaign, what we have to do is not just that we need financial backers, we need a financial celebrity fronter. So I've created this campaign that I think will go live afterwards. We gotta fund a celebrity, and I think we're gonna need millions to get that celebrity to do this. But if there's any money left over, it will go to us. So if you guys want to give, we'll be launching this after the show. Um, I like the goal, a million dollars. That's a show, right? <laughs> I feel like that's how much they cost, right? <laughs> per show. I feel like that's how much you can buy them for. And so then um, I should tell you that's not Oprah. Um, but if you do give to this <laughs> campaign, I can superimpose uh, your face onto Oprah's. So that's the deal. I, I don't like to feel like too sorry for myself. I feel like I'm, I'm going to the arts. There's a, a zillion artists out there and you know everyone's struggling and it's also like a privilege to do what we do and I'm not the only one out there. So here's another case study. My name is Petunia Vandertor, puppet talk show host. I started the show because I was getting cabin fever. There's only so many times you can read your washing instructions. But it's hard out there for a puppet comedian. I'm so sick of being a starving artist. I want to be a commercial success. I mean, I want to lean in just like Sheryl Sandberg says and really break into the biz. I got to get some advice from a pro. Hello. Hi, is this Alan Lowe, the screenwriter? This is. Um, my name is Petunia Vandertwerp. You might know me from the cult classic, The On Time Show with Petunia Vandertwerp. I don't know. I don't know you. So what are you trying to break? You say you're trying to break in. Break in as what? I want to break in as the puppet, the go-to puppet who entertains other puppets stuck at home. You're not, you're not answering my question. What's your talent? My talent is, is that I... You talent. What do you do better than anybody else and everybody else? What do people... What are people going to pay you good money to do? 
I'm gonna be the funniest puppet you've ever seen and the most entertaining. Are you funnier than Whitney Cummings? Because she's very funny. She says funny things and she makes millions of dollars a year. Are you funnier than her? Yeah! I mean, Legos You're not funny. I, you haven't said one thing to make me laugh. Why don't you say something funny right now to me? Go. You know when you read your washing instructions? What was that? I didn't hear you. Do you ever get tired of reading your washing instructions? The what instructions? See, the street noise here is very loud. When I talk to Whitney Cummings, the street noise is quiet. She's better at controlling the street noise than you. You Whoa. need to work on controlling the street noise. Oh, I think he hung up on me. Whoa, what a I think I just need like a day job so I can really do my art. Hi, this is Susan Reeve. Hi, Susan, are you that life coach that wrote the book The Inspired Life? I am that life coach and self-esteem expert who wrote The Inspired Life. So you're looking for a place that you can start speaking and being paid for right away. Yeah, I thought about doing life coaching. It seems like the kind of cool thing for... I don't know, like women, you know, the way that real estate was big for divorcees in the 80s? I want to tell you something about life coaching. Okay. And that is, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. Oh. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time. You know, unfortunately, one of the jobs that you make money quickly at is a sex worker. Huh. To use the night flirt service, you must be 18 years or older. Hello, this is Kelly. Hi, Kelly. I'm Petunia Vandertwerp. You're who? Petunia Vandertwerp. I feel like I could maybe be a phone sex operator. I can do lots of voices. I can do like a, a British older guy like you stupid hussy. <laughs> oh, Petunia, you really do have a career in phone sex. I'm telling you what. Because you're witty and funny and cute and sexy, I think you could really go far in this business. Sorry to interrupt. The time period you paid for has ended. I actually got charged $30 for that call and then like proceeded to cancel my debit card and be like, someone must have stolen my card. <laughs> That's outrageous. Um, I want to, well, oh, first, The Inspired Life, you guys can buy this. All of those calls were made without any notice to any of those people. Um, I want to welcome our first guest because we have so many incredible guests on the show, so I want to get started. Are you guys ready? Our first guest has had two major stand-up specials. Um, one of them is on Epics right now, which you can get, if you will. She's also been in Reality Bites, 24, Delocated, The Ben Stiller Show. Wet Hot American Summer. Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> Put your hands together for Ms. Janine Garofalo. <laughs> in the sun. Thank you. 50 films and nearly 60 television shows. All in the 90s. 
Oh, the 90s. <laughs> 90s were good. Oh, the 90s. We, we share one thing in common, um, unwittingly amusing contests. You, you, is it true you were funniest person in Rhode Island? Uh, that was, that, I don't know how that happened. That was uh, <laughs> not because of my skill. That was in 1985 or 86, and it was a testament to the other comics uh, that somehow were even less skilled I had the I. same thing. I won Funniest New York Resident and then Funniest Reporter on the Planet, but I lost at the Universe. Funniest Planet. Funniest but I did come in last at the San Francisco Comedy Competition. <laughs> but Se- this was your second first... Second to last was Jeff Garland. Is that right? Yes. But does that feel cathartic to know that? Uh, which part? That the contests are so stupid and so rigged that, of uh, course, the greatest... Well, it, w- it wasn't rigged. It's just that oh. the, 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 the way I... I do stand-up in the way that Jeff Garland tends to do stand-up does not lend itself well to little four- or five-minute sets that you do uh, on a nightly basis in order to move up the ranks in the contest. I have an inability to get to a point succinctly. And I'm not a strong joke writer, which can be an impediment to stand-up comedy. I, and I was, I was um, projecting because my contest was rigged. I won a contest I hadn't entered and then was pissed when I lost. What was the contest? <laughs> the Bro- funniest New York and, resident. And what, what, was, what did you have to do? I had to do stand-up at Stand-Up New York. Oh, oh, okay. I, I see. And then I won a trip to San Francisco. And when I went to collect it, they said, I'm sorry if the word trip was ambiguous. <laughs> they didn't have any airfare. <laughs> oh, meaning you pay... Hey, you can go to San Francisco. Why San Francisco then? You could, they could have said you can go to Ibiza. <laughs> totally. You, you can't totally. technically go anywhere. They could have made it bigger. The, the, the funniest person in Rhode Island, that was your first big break or no? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it was at the time, this is, happened before many of you were born. Uh, Showtime was doing a thing called Funniest Person In, and they would go from city to city. And um, I just happened to perform. I was still doing open. I had just started doing stand-up. And I used to write uh, little uh, buzzwords on my arm to remember what I was going to talk about. Now I just use a notebook. But I, every time I looked at my arm, the audience would laugh. Uh, uh, like that, what a, that's so funny. She's acting like she needs to look at her arm to, to do that. And somehow that, that won it. I don't know. I don't understand how it happened. It didn't go, it didn't lead to anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't expect it to. I also didn't deserve it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was much funnier people in Rhode Island. It is the biggest little state in the union. I was at Providence College at the time and, um, like I said, the people that went on the night that they were judging just happened to be, I guess, less funny than than myself. And I wasn't funny. Now, I read in an interview that you did um, in the Phoenix, Boston, the Boston Phoenix, 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 yes, um, about body image issues and that you got a breast reduction. Is that true? Before you started stand-up so that you oh, feel I, more Oh, I had nothing to do with stand-up. I had no idea you were going to bring that up, but here, here it is. Um, I, uh, I am... <laughs> Not that I am am shy about it, but I I haven't even been asked that or I thought about that in so long. I'm just, I was a a kid who somehow got, I'm five foot one, and I somehow had uh, very large boobs by like sixth or seventh grade. I'm not one of those people that thinks that's a great thing. Uh, Yeah, it's uncomfortable. I have always envied 
flat, flat, flat uh, as a board people. And, and it, it just made me self-conscious. And then when I was in college, I was like, uh, a friend of mine had gotten one. And then so I said, I'm going to get one. And here we are. <laughs> and I'm wearing an bra. I got a Dwayne Reed. <laughs> right now. Right now as we speak. An bra, As seen on TV from Dwayne Reed. And then you... Could you wear that with the pre... No, I had, I had the four hook type of white Dwayne. bras they used to have back then. <laughs> that, and then sometimes I would put like a jog bra over that. Anything to like flat, flatten it out but it just made a bigger mass. Um, and my sister's 4'11 and has, like, Dolly Parton. I, I, am I, it could be painful. <laughs> wow. You got him excited. <laughs> no, it's just very shocking. I can understand. It's very shocking. But uh, I, I just feel, you know, the breast reduction operation, I read a statistic, I don't know if this is true or anecdotal, is the number two after rhinoplasty. Most requested services uh, uh, surgery. Uh, the reason I, w- I was really asking was because in the article it's, it sounded as if you had done that um, and you felt less self-conscious after. And you, you do such an eloquent job of looking at gender and and your comedy. And so that's why I was really asking about it, like oh. how much it. In- well, no, no, I, and honestly, I don't mind that you asked. It's just I, I, no one has asked me that in years and years. Have they asked you about Botox and getting it twice? Oh yeah, I did. I have done that. Uh, and I haven't done it recently, and I, I have done Botox. This doesn't work. Crow's feet, don't even do it. It's a fool's errand. Nothing changes. Th- this, this works pretty good, and my smoker's wrinkles work pretty good, but it wears, uh, she just goes right into the smoke because I smoke. All natural. All natural. The only, honestly, all the natural I wanted to ask was like, to what extent is it for your career? Like, to what extent oh, no, is it doing not. Anything? And not. To get Botox thinking that it's going to change that I'm a middle-aged woman who refuses to strengthen her core. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not at all. Right. A, okay, at good. all. It's just uh, that I happen to have a, a dermatologist right across the street from my apartment, and I, I do... Uh, when things actually do what they say they're going to do, like bare minerals, like when cleansing conditioner, actually does says what it's going to do, that you can get a thing there, and then that's gone. So I want to ask another thing, and I have to ask, yes, is please. it true? Because, you know, I read it on the internet. I want to make sure it's true. Is it true you've turned down acting parts that um, were either too violent or had too much sexual content that you didn't like? Can I ask? Oh, I have, I have passed on things. It's not, it's not like there's people knocking um, down my door to do stuff, but there <laughs> is certain things over the years that, and, and I was on criminal mind suspect behavior, which yes. really I had no idea. First of all, before you take a job, watch the show. <laughs> watch the show before you say, yes, I will do that. Um, the, the spinoff of Criminal Minds, uh, which was mercifully canceled after one season. Um, and I'm always happy to work. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not being glib about work. I'm not being glib about all the jobs it creates and the people who were working there. But to have a show that pretends to be a, a crime procedural that is really just torture porn where 
90% of the victims are young, attractive women who we find, we come upon them in their underwear. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not right for me. I would, but didn't if you read I the allow script my kids before you did it? No, for, what happens is you get an offer, which is rare for okay. me. Usually I have to audition for things. So when an offer comes in, I'm so flattered. It's like, and, and I knew that the show Criminal Minds was on for a long time. I mean, I, I had an awareness of it. It's not like yeah. I, had, I don't watch TV. I definitely do watch TV. But I had never watched a whole episode of Criminal Minds. They amped it. They doubled down on the formula for this uh, spinoff in the violence department and all that. And also, it's just expository dialogue where you five people stand in a row and say it, and say a sentence that one person could easily say. Well, where that's, that, And that's what it is. There's no there there as a part. That's just my opinion on it. So I, I don't like stuff like that. I also don't like stuff that, that uh, uh, perpetuates stereotypes or... Um, did, you, did you turn down the like role that. of Gail Weathers and Wes Craven's Scream? No, no. I don't know where that came from. I, I, I didn't you. audition. I was supposed to audition, but I was at the Aspen Comedy Festival, and I didn't want to leave the Aspen Comedy Festival to audition. I may never have gotten it. Uh, so, What about Anne Coulter and Poltergeist 3? Uh, no, Anne, <laughs> Anne Coulter. Um, that's... that's that would be a challenge. I believe she's Andy Kaufman. I honestly believe Ann Coulter is Andy Kaufman uh, because because there's nothing authentic about what she says. She's a, doing a perform a performance yes. art piece. No, she's fabulous. That's uh, why that's why Colbert won't have her on because he already is in character and he doesn't need two characters. Right. Now you watch television, but mm -hmm. you won't own a computer. No, it's not that I won't own it. I actually was using a computer for a while, and I I'm old enough that most of my life has been without it. And then I, you know, I even didn't get a cell phone for years and years. Mm -hmm. And I don't have my cell phone with me now as we speak. It's at home. I, I, and I don't say that like, aren't I something? I just don't happen to, uh, I don't like all the technology. I don't like all the surveillance. I don't like mm -hmm. the culture of cruelty and snark. I don't like, you know, all that stuff. And I also don't like to be accessible 24, like, you know what I mean? Because it's, it, and also there's got to be, cancer rays coming out of it. There has to be. And, you know, as I said, my cigarettes are all natural. They are filterless. They are filterless, and only 30% of cancer deaths are lung. But I, I get not using Facebook. Wait a second. Let them think about that. That's 70% I, that are I not. I think they know. I think they know. But I feel I don't like they're the ones I'm worried that. about. Um, I... I get not using Facebook and, and Twitter. You know, there's a no fake me twittering, a fake Facebook me, and they own the rights to my name and the way it's spelled, and they can use pictures of you. Those people have more rights than you do. And also, why me? Why don't you pick like somebody with some juice who can get some followers? Uh, if you're gonna fake Twitter, have somebody that has a you know has a shot at accruing a lot of followers. I'm not being self-deprecating. That's just pragmatism. I don't understand why you would. It's very, it's very difficult to, to know that you cannot stop a person pretending to be you uh, on, the, uh, on these no, sites. No, It's okay. really... It is, and, and what offends me most about when people show me some of the tweets, poor grammar. Uh, you know what I mean? That's what bothers me a lot about it. Not yeah. clever. And, and, and it re that offends me more than anything else. Now, I... Your parents were first generation immigrants. Well, uh, no, their parents were. Their my parents were. my mother's parents came from Ireland, and my father's parents came from Italy as children. And then they both were raised in the Bronx and met in a bowling alley 
1958 in the Bronx. So sweet. My mom had her own shoes. She was a real, I mean, she's, that's what kind of a bowler she was, had her own shoes. More like a baller. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> I, don't, um. I don't take your meaning, mm-hmm. sir. I'm meaning that she was, that's hot. That's pretty cool that she had her own bowling oh, shoes. Oh, yes. It's very, and, very hip. And she was a secretary uh, at an ad agency in the early 60s in the Gray Bar building. Her name was Joan, and she had red hair. Oh, wow. Uh, she, she did not look, <laughs> she, she, she did not look quite like the Joan from Sterling Cooper, Draper, Price, and Joan, but she, she, she did, she was a secretary at an ad agency in the, in, in the early 60s in the Gray Bar building. Did you, did you feel pressure to get a traditional job? I thought I wanted to be a secretary for many years because yeah. my mom was, and not only was she a hell of a bowler, she was celebrated around her office for her typing skills and her shorthand quickness. And I never got past 14 words a minute. Uh, that is true in typing class. Well, we're lucky that you didn't because it means that we get to have you on stage. And I know you have to get to work to go perform stand yeah, I have another set, but thank you um, for having me. But, but um, we didn't even I got, get into the beads. I know. I got you beads because oh, I know you like you. to bead. Um, I made some bracelets if anybody... If you want to share them with everyone. Uh, I only, I only oh. had time to make a few and I didn't have any time to do any metal jewelry. I like to make jewelry and I, my dream is to one day work at a bead store. Um, I'm not lying well, at all about that. That and being in the ref of the puppy bowl. Uh, but here is, um, here is, here is a, a $5 gift certificate. Go crazy at the bead store. Thank you so much. Janine Garofalo, can we give you a huge warm thank you so much? Thank you. She is utterly hilarious. I do recommend you um, seeing her perform. She performs all over town, and I'd say go to her website, but it's not hers. So I think we should keep the show going because I want to have as much time with our guests as possible. Our next one was at New York Magazine for seven years. And she, her claim to fame there, although she should be known for all of her phenomenal articles, is uh, creating the approval matrix. Awesome. And she is now at the New Yorker where she is the TV critic. So let's welcome Ms. Emily Nussbaum. Excited. Um, Emily, I got a New Yorker and it was $7. Just to reinforce anything about it being hoity toity. Do, do you, can you get reimbursed? Uh, I think it means, can I get you reimbursed? No, I mean, you know, just slip it in, see what happens. Um, hey, Emily, you want to use the mic? Do, oh, can you talk into the mic? Let's do that whole bit over. Okay. Please welcome Ms. Emily Nussbaum. You can read one of Emily's phenomenal pieces um, in this issue of The New Yorker. It is $7, but maybe she can get you reimbursed. Um, It's an excellent, excellent article about sex in the city and uh, how it deserves a little more uh, status than it it receives. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Um, Now, you live in Park Slope. I do. And you have TiVo, you have cable... I feel like all the kids must love you and the parents must hate you. Is that possible? Actually, 
I, I don't know. It hasn't come up. No. Should I be inviting kids over? <laughs> like, say, hey, I just, come like, over and watch Dexter. All or... my friends who are parents in Park Slope, I feel yeah. like they would be having meetings about this at the co-op and how this is really dangerous that you have television. <laughs> what are these kids going to do? Yeah. They won't learn their Urdu and they'll never get into college. <laughs> That was my fear, but um, I feel like you're going to be the cool mom when your kids grow up a little bit, maybe, because you have, you, TV is great. Yeah, I, I'm pro-TV. <laughs> yeah. Pro-television. Yeah. Um, what does it mean to be a critic? Well, uh, it means that you get to boss everyone around <laughs> with your opinions. No, it's, it's actually, like, it's a complete dream job, because obviously I'm obsessed with television. I mean, it's complicated, because, you know, it's like, Online, at this point, everybody is a critic for television. It's a huge audience of people talking about TV. Um, I'm not sure how to answer the question. Because I've written different kinds of criticism, and I remember when I started writing criticism, I honestly felt uncomfortable about it, and I stopped well, reviewing some of the stuff I was reviewing. But reviewing television... I feel good about Let's it. Let's talk about that a little. You, you wouldn't review poetry, for right. example, anymore. I, I used to review poetry, and I love poetry. For the New York Review of Books? Uh, no, that would be Sorry. nice. No, I, no, for the, um, no, for the New York Times Book Review. Which I apologize. Is also, I which apologize. Is also very, almost very as, fancy. Almost as airy yeah. Um But uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to review poetry, and then I had this, just, I had this feeling with the New York Times specifically that I, I was like, it honestly is like crushing a puppy on an enormous platform in front of everybody because <laughs> poetry, which I love, but has a tiny audience one person writes it, they make no money, and if you even have like a sentence of mixed review, it has this weird, devastating effect. And I felt like if I can't write bad reviews, I shouldn't be writing good reviews. Because, but with television, well, and wait a minute, before we get there, with theater also was another one where no, where, I, I didn't, I didn't review. No, anything. right, but you, yeah. you've spoken about how you won't review theater. I, I don't know. I, I really haven't been in the position of doing it, but I do think it has a similar impact. Although reviewing theater would be great in a way. I don't know. Maybe I've gotten more critical-minded and mean as I've gotten older and okay. I'm willing to take on more things. Because you had spoken about how, the, how critics can shut down a show. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the truth is, uh, I don't think that critics could shut down a TV show, but that's not my feeling about it. It's just that it's a medium that people used to think of as crap and junk, and it used to be that TV critics, when they wrote about it, were either two kinds of critics. Either it was... Uh, you know, entertainment reporters who were creating buzz or literary type critics who were slumming. And they would, you know, sort of riff off shows. And if anything showed the slightest bit of ambition, they would praise the hell out of it. And in general, they basically just treated it the way everybody treated television, which is as this sort of candy that poured into your living room and people were very condescending about it. And a lot of it wasn't very good and some of it was interesting, but people didn't treat it with any... You know, as a as a meaningful thing, and then TV Wait. changed a lot, and criticism changed a lot, and my feeling about it is, I'm like, it affects everyone. It's incredible. There's a lot of great television. I mean, television's huge. There's a lot of crappy stuff too, but um, and for whatever reason, like I do feel in this crazy, maybe slightly psychotic way, like I'm on a mission. To ha have you have you felt or have you seen any of your reviews influence this? Have you kept a show on or I, I, championed I a show I mean, that might not have I otherwise gotten attention? I definitely advocate for shows that I feel like people don't pay attention to that they should be watching, but really critics don't have that kind of effect on things. I think by and large, I mean, with a well, few theater exceptions. theater critics do. Theater critics do, I mean, 
television is a weird, weird industry economically in ways I'll never understand. And how much does like that I'm, factor into you? Like when you know that a show has a certain budget, do you do you review well, the, it more harshly or? Well, the only thing I do feel is I feel like anyone who's creating good television on network television should be given massive, massive awards because it's so much more difficult to do it. They have. I so think much, they have a, enough award shows. Yeah, well, is that really what you're? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just mean I, like board? I have a particular feeling about sitcoms on on network when they're good. They're under so much pressure. Obviously, they get tremendous amounts of money. Nobody should feel sorry for them. But no. I just mean, it's just one of those things where so many of them are crappy, and um, and there's so many terrible dramas on network also. But on the other hand, they're operating under different conditions. They have to produce 23 episodes a year. They have all of this weird pressure about ratings, and a lot of the best Everyone has pressure shows. at their jobs, though. I mean, that's normal, and most people don't get the same... You refuse to participate in my sympathy <laughs> for the tragic role of the network sitcom creator. Do you have no? Do you have no human soul? Oh wow, wow! No, I apologize. I'm the, the one most... without a human soul. Chuck Lorre <laughs> with two and a half okay, men. Chuck you are right. He has so much no, empathy the for the small person. Um, no, I, I. It's my field, and I feel um, excited and privileged to be in it. I was just curious. I guess I, I feel like it's a privilege to make as much money as, as people in television do, and I wish that nurses and teachers made more. That's well, all. I That's where I'm that. coming from. No, I completely agree with that. I'm just talking about the fact that when I when I talk about a show like The Good Wife that's a brilliant show on network television I'm particularly impressed that they're able to make a good drama on network given that it seems impossible to make anything but the most sort of curdled kind of bland for everyone formulaic stuff mm -hmm. and so I'm impressed when there's something like that. It, luckily, I mean, it's a time when there's a million cable networks and there are a lot of people doing much more experimental things. I do try to beat the drum for that kind of stuff, but, you know. What are the rules you set yourself with people you're covering? Meaning, because now there's so much um, involvement between journalists and actors and some journalists get to make their own films and, you know, they get their stories. Are journalists making their own who? Well, like Josh Bierman has Argo. Right. I mean, there, there's you know lots of things, and Elvis Mitchell was constantly selling pilots. Um, so there is a lot of crossover there. And then Bernie Weinraub is married to Amy Pascal, and he was at the New York Times. I mean, there there is a lot of crossover. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of schmoozing online and off between people in different um, places of power. I was curious, what are the boundaries you have to set for yourself as a journalist? Well, I mean. First of all, I live in New York, so that's a huge advantage in writing about television. Because although people make TV in New York, I'm just not hanging out with them generally. But it's true on Twitter, it's weird. Because there never used to be this kind of contact between, you know, human beings and 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 television creators, like which I'm <laughs> creating as two separate systems, but there you go. I, I mean it, it it was a strange moment when TV creators got online. I mean, I was a huge crazy Buffy fan, and there was this yes. strange lunatic moment when I noticed everything changing for for shows that you were fans of because suddenly the people who made them would get online you knew the individual writers for episodes and I would go on the bronze and like Joss Whedon would be posting there that was very strange I usually try not to <laughs> it's so weird my ethical line is I try not to tweet at TV creators too much but I'm not facing any kind of weird burdens in real life because I'm not hanging out with people who make television in general. I mean, and I also brought it up, I thought you wrote a great article about girls with Lena Dunham, but yeah. I do remember you did get some flack well, for being too cozy yeah. with her, and I thought that was sort of sexist. Well, had no, nothing what to do was, with the what article. was odd about it was that, well, first of all, I wasn't actually writing TV criticism. I, I, okay. I, I think I, was I actually writing, was I a TV critic at New York when I took on that article? I'm not sure. But um, 
when I was in New York, I wrote profiles. And I have written profiles of TV creators. I wrote a profile of David Simon. I wrote a profile of Louis C.K. I've raved about Louis' show. Nobody has ever accused me of being too cozy with Louis because I profiled him. Um, But I did love girls, and I wrote a really positive profile of Lena that was a splashy opener for the show. A couple of people on Twitter had said stuff about that. I mean... I liked the show and I liked her personally and I wrote a positive profile of her, but it's not like we're hanging out. Like, no, all, I thought all, it was great. I, yeah. I had read some criti- and I thought it was sort of obnoxious that people would say something. I don't know. Everybody's biased on these things, but in general, like I, I, again, aside from having profiled people, which is a professional situation where you're interviewing them and you're creating this weird theatrical intimacy and then <laughs> never following up on it afterwards, it, it, it hasn't, it hasn't actually um, come up as a thing. It's interesting. Do you think it's a problem? I thought it was an unfair criticism okay. of your criticism. Oh, okay. That was well, why I thank brought you it for alerting me to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I know you like Buffy, so I got you a comic book because you are such a nerd. I you you subscribe to Word Perfect magazine, and I tried to get it on eBay, and it still hasn't arrived. But whoever has Word Perfect magazine does not want to get rid of it. This wasn't recent. This was when I was so, a secretary in the. In I, I got 90s. you Buffy. I don't want people to think that I'm like a crazy Word Perfect nostalgist, but uh, this is. I think people are going to go home tonight. One. <laughs> is Emily craving that Word Perfect magazine still, and can I get it for her? And you may be able to get it faster than I did. I was just curious at the New Yorker, what is the percentage of people who wear tweed with irony to the percentage of people who wear tweed without irony? For some reason, I'm taking the question really literally, and I'm going through my <laughs> mind, things in my mind. I'm like, does Tad Friend wear tweed? Like, I'm trying to think of people. I don't know. It is actually... It's a, I I mean, I can't think of anybody who actually wears tweed, but it it does seem New Yorkery there, you know, like in the way that I, like when I first got there. I don't know. A lot of people wear monocles. (laughs) No. I think if you want to look unsmart there, you can put these over your glasses. Mm. These have no lenses. Those are very intelligent looking, I'm sure. Um, one of the other things I loved is when you were writing about uh, girls, you aptly compared the show to Louis C.K.'s show instead of sort of putting all shows that have ever had a female together in, in one comparison yeah. I just I just have these weird themes I keep hitting over and over again. And it is a big feeling I have when people talk about uh, women in television. There's this strange habit of comparing all female characters to all other female characters any female show to any other female show as though they're in competition with each other and there can only be one. But one of the things that ends up being mi- missing is just shows don't uh, aren't don't have things in common, only intra-gender. And Louie and uh, Girls are clearly really similar shows in super interesting ways. I mean, they're, they're different. I mean, one Cinematically. Is, well, just, you know, they're both auteurist shows by one person creating very memoir-like kind of indie movie style stuff where the main character is a memoirish uh, artist who is uh, sort of like chubby, humiliating themselves sexually all the time in search of material, has this kind of aggressive narcissistic personality that sort of grates on people in this complicated way and is in a period of complete limbo in New York during their life. So, I mean, when, when the thing so is the when, same, when, the same exact show when Lena was making, <laughs> so when Lena was making girls, I actually talked to her about this and I know that it was, it was kind of interesting because I was looking for stuff about her online to include in the article and she went to a Halloween party that year dressed as Louis C.K. Yes. And then she started tweeting about it 
and it was it was interesting because she just tweeted she was like just so that you know it's a very different feeling to go to a Halloween like she just felt so humiliated she said mm -hmm. and uncomfortable and she had these strange interactions with people and it was a great picture because she was sort of trying to wear this bald wig and stuff and anyway I always thought the relationship between those two shows was very interesting but um, of course most of the time when people talked about girls they talked about sex in the city and I'm not saying the show two, two shows don't have anything in common but um, I don't know. To me, it's a limiting thing. I, I thought it was fantastic that you're adding to the discussion in a way that actually has nuance and also celebrating the renaissance that's going on right now in TV. Yeah, there's so much good stuff. It's there's great. so many good things. I wanted to know um, what is the next thing you're reviewing? Uh, the next thing we're reviewing or is... profiling. Um, well, I, I don't write profiles right now. I, I only apologize. write reviews. No, wait, no, wait, no, but that, it's great because the thing you were bringing up, I don't feel like there's an ethical issue, but there is an emotional issue. I found writing profiles very difficult. I mean, I like writing profiles, and I wrote some that I think are good and some that I think are not that good. But it's just draining. Like, it's so exhausting. And there's this strange way in which just writing criticism is this very pure, sadistic, mathematical experience. So it's kind of a relief. I mean, I'm not sure that that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, should I say good luck on this sadistic enterprise? And, yes. Um, will you please come back onto the podcast Thank so we you. can have a more in-depth discussion? By the way, I'm reviewing Broadchurch, which is very good. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to look out for Broadchurch. Uh, I hope everyone will give a warm round of applause to Emily Nussbaum. Please check out her work. Thanks. Thank you so much. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Feeling inspired? You can go to the podcast for even longer interviews. This is just a taste that I like to share. Brilliant people who I think are really um, creating exciting careers for themselves. Um, or, or Eric, tell us how you feel about it, though. I feel like I've got Harpo marks on the stage. <laughs> like, all right, you'll sign for us next time. I do want to keep the show going because we have a very, very exciting guest coming up. Um, you may have seen her uh, since 2002. She's been on What Not to Wear, and she's also <laughs> the author of her own book. So without further ado, please welcome Ms. Stacey London. <laughs> Hello. I, I want to get out your book, The Truth About Style. Great. I'm going to put out my bag. This is, this is the I first show where we've had product placement. Well, I tweeted my bag. It's its, it's, its first appearance, public appearance. How and much did that bag cost? It wasn't cheap. How much is not cheap? Not, it was a lot. Like, um, like a thousand? I, I, you know, I honestly, I don't know really for sure. I took it and I, I didn't look at the bill. So if I were to sell it on eBay, let's say, just objectively... Well, it's mine, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe okay. you get, I got a few bucks for it. I don't know. But look, it has a lock. Wow. Let me, let me ask you. It's mixing a grommet <laughs> and some leopard. What's a grommet? Pony hair. What's a grommet? What's it, a grommet? Is that animal? What it's an animal? inverted stud. It's oh. like a belly button, but metal. Well, so that's, that's a good segue to my first question for you. <laughs> How did writing your thesis at Vassar, Nietzsche, Thomas Mann, and Herman Broach, the concept of self and its relationships to the creation of character in literature, <laughs> prepare you for reality television? Wow, you... <laughs> 
You did some digging, huh? Um, well, I will tell you how, Miss Lazarus. I'm going to take off these glasses because I don't think they make me look good. Um, I, I couldn't, I don't know if I could have answered that question <laughs> um, un, until now, actually. I certainly couldn't have answered it when I was at Vassar because <laughs> I had to make up my own major in order to write the thesis because I didn't know what to major Well, and also in. to just have a sentence would be too short. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really a little bit of the Steve Jobs connect the dots backwards sort of thing. But for it's me... It's called hindsight. It was before, yeah. Before even before, Steve Jobs Before existed. Steve Jobs You don't need to give hindsight. him credit for that. He's got enough. Um, but it was really... <laughs> no, I, well, I like to give him a little bit of credit. I was very inspired by that speech. I really was because I do think that there is Which something... that connect the dots speech. Oh, okay. Um, because I I'm now connecting the dots. Okay. So I do think that there is something to the idea that we may not know why we do something when we do it, but that in hindsight, um, there there are things that sort of connect for us. And for me... Fashion and philosophy didn't necessarily come together until much later in my life, but it had a lot to do with the fact that um, sort of outside and inside are really kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin, and that it was really important to find a way for my personal experience and my professional experience to meet. And they met in terms of fashion and philosophy. This is becoming a Vassarian. Uh, yeah, in, 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 in what not response. to wear, uh, but in terms of self-esteem. So fashion for me is not about uh, what is just about what you see on the outside. It's about how you feel on the inside. Um, and you write so eloquently about all of this in your book. I really can't recommend it enough. It's called The Truth About Style. And one of the things you write candidly about is struggling both with eating disorders and skin disorders. Yeah. And so I was worried. I felt bad. I mean, going into an industry that idealizes this unattainable form of beauty, was that healthy for you? Well, I think it was a, I think it was a compensatory reaction for okay. me. I think when you um, are covered in red scales over your entire body from your neck down. Just a preface for people because they can't see that because you don't have that now. Right, I don't have that now, but I had psoriasis. I was diagnosed at the age of four. Um, I still have it. It's a chronic disease. You never get rid of it. Um, But I did, it was most severe when I was 11, and I had scales that covered me from the neck down. Um, At the age of 11, it was was not the best of times. (laughs) I felt a little bit like a monster. If you read the book or if you've heard me talk about the book, I I did talk about that a lot. I do think that that is where my interest in all things sparkly and beautiful and perfect started. Um, Definitely that interest in moving towards those things, you know, sort of like a turkey towards glitter. But, But... in the in the sense that you know I had very low self esteem and I wanted to be around things that were beautiful and so of course I went towards fashion and I you know I went my first job was at Vogue um, but it spent I spent fourteen years in fashion before I got to what not to wear it wasn't until I got to what not to wear which was completely by accident. Um, and, and very different. I mean, you, you segued from working in a very high-end, multimillion-dollar business that's helping to dress models and style these gorgeous, you know, shots to working with everyday, quote-unquote, people, myself included, but, you know, individuals and helping them with fashion. It's a very different market, I would say, than working at Vogue. No? Well, it's a very different market, and also I was behind the camera there, and then all of a sudden in front of the camera, which... 
you know, frankly, took me a, a little while to work out. How I did mean, that happen? Fashion-wise. That's <laughs> if any of you remember the early seasons. <laughs> it was not altogether pretty. But my, my point, yes, is that it, it actually, it didn't click for me that I was sort of missing something in fashion. I kind of got disillusioned a little bit with fashion and, and sort of all the glamour of it and how fabulous everybody is and, you know, what Karl Lagerfeld is doing this month. Um, I got bored. Who is that? I'm Bart. just kidding. Um, he's Nietzsche's cousin. <laughs> um, but um, but I, got, I got a little bit bored of that. And, and it wasn't until I got to What Not to Wear and I saw that working with anybody who is struggling with their sense of themselves in any way, their sense of identity, you know, be it somebody who, I don't know, wants to be in the fashion world or, or I don't know, wants, is a mom who stays at home with three kids who just wants a pair of jeans that makes her ass look great, that there is something so rewarding in allowing or um, aiding somebody in, in being able to see themselves differently. And, and be, being able to sort of help them and aid them in that uh, was, was a completely different proposition than being at a Chanel show. I felt it found it so helpful because when I started stand-up, I was told I wasn't fuckable enough at the comic strip to perform there. I'm not kidding. And I know I disagree. Well, too. you are now, lady. <laughs> but it was really helpful to, to see your show because I was like... All of a sudden, something that had been such a part of my life, which was dressing cute, became this weird thing. And I, I like would try. I mean, I wasn't wearing shoulder pads and trying to look like Paula Poundstone, but I, I you would perform. I hope not. You would perform gender in the way in your job and be like, "What does a female comic look like? How am I not distracting people from listening to me?" And all these different things. And I found well, your show very helpful. You know, I do think it is very. You bring up. I mean, gender is a huge thing when 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 we talk about what are we supposed to look like in a in a particular set of circumstances. Um, female comedy being something very specific. Um, when we talk about an industry that is generally considered like a male industry, and all of a sudden, you know, you have women that are becoming successful and are getting noticed, and they don't know how to be funny without being... No, that wasn't the problem. No, it was dressing funny. But, and at the same time, <laughs> be, you know, feminine, or, or if you're too pretty, then, you know, all of a sudden that's a problem. You know, that, that really speaks to a, a bigger problem about the industry. Um, you know, I hate the idea that, that gender has to be suppressed in order for you to feel successful in any industry. Well, it's evolved, I mean, dramatically now. I mean, it's, it's certainly changed a lot. But I, when I started out, and I think most people deal with all of these things, of, but particularly women, of how do I dress so that I'm taken seriously in an industry where people are actually wondering whether I'm fuckable enough and not asking that about Woody Allen or Jerry Seinfeld. Well, you'd never ask that about Woody Allen. I hope not. <laughs> there aren't clues in the world to make not. Woody Allen fuckable. <laughs> now, <laughs> I mean, I am talented, but not that talented. I did, I did want to ask, what's the weirdest incident of being asked about... Oh, that's for... We'll give that to Emily Nussman. That's her $7. Oh, okay. The I, New I Yorker. Um, Can I have one of these? Yes, please have a mint. What is, what is your weirdest incident of being asked for advice? Because I imagine people come up to you all the time. My favorite... I have to say, because this is the one that really... It's... What is, why are you laughing already? I haven't even told you what it is. <laughs> There are a couple, but, it, but, but there's one category that's my favorite. And the reason is, is because I actually had to teach myself how to style. Um, the, the, the first time was when um, 
well, from far away, it looked as if a woman uh, was coming up to me who, you know, probably was, you know, around my age, mid forties, maybe, maybe a little bit older. I don't know. It was hard to tell. Yeah. But, um, but walking towards me in a, in a dress that I felt was like perhaps a little bit too young for her. And, you know, I, I, something was off about her hair and then I'm, she's getting closer to me and closer to me. And I'm like, that is not a woman. <laughs> and uh, she came up to me and said, I'm, pre- I'm a pre-op. And I've been, wow. I've been dressing as a woman for five years. And I was like, we have to work on your color palette and definitely like the length of your dresses if you're going to do this. And that's when I really started thinking about like how important it is for transgender uh, specifically that the styling become uh, a real, really this as if you know, kind of issue. This is um, the perfect segue for what we're going to do next. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, we are, were, we were going to bring someone out. Okay. Um, to, what to what, show what you, have you got planned? To, to show um, some of my clothes and get your advice on three, three questions, three quick questions. All righty then. So if, without further ado, can we bring out Mr. Rob Lathan? Th- this feels like a quiz. Well, so it's a genuine one. Okay. So, wait, Rob, will you tuck in the... So what if someone shows up at like Rob, Rob, put the blue right. I, I have no idea what you're what you're trying to say so to the me question here. Is, all, all this says to me is plushy. Okay, so the question is the dress, if he puts it, it this is my grandmother's um, fur top and fur skirt, and that's my hat. I was just like, what happens if someone shows up at like a PETA event wearing this or is just dressed inappropriately? What do you say to someone if they're well, dressed they inappropriately? Well, they get what they deserve if they show up at a PETA <laughs> event in that. But it, I, that's my feeling. Okay, and I don't know what you're doing owning that hat. I wear that hat everywhere. It's my favorite hat in the world. Oh, this is why I like don't like fashion because I'm like, I like to be my own special snowflake. Oh, um, here we go. So, the next outfit, I wear that hat everywhere and I get compliments. Wait, I don't understand. Did, is he just stripping down? We don't, we don't have a lot of models. We have a very tight budget. So, these were things given to me by my mother and stepmother, not to creep you out. But Wait, I don't understand. Is this an outfit? An, so an apron is, and a kimono? This is an outfit. I wanted to ask, in all seriousness, like... I was told by my mom that you're supposed to be like a whore in the bedroom and a like, I don't know, lady on the street and a mother in the kitchen. And then I got sent this. She's obsessed with Jane Austen, so says I'd rather be reading Jane Austen in this robe. But what you're telling me is don't wear it because it's too creepy because it's from my mom and stepmom together I, th- as a gift. This doesn't say to me that you're going to get laid anytime okay. soon. All right, so let's take that off. Now, the last question is, what if you want to wear a bikini because you're going to the beach... Should you be wearing Spanx? Wait, why would you wear Spanx with a bikini? You I mean, wouldn't. I really wanted to just make fun of, I just wanted to actually make fun of Spanx because I think when women and men wear... It's all right. Nip slip. You got a nip slip. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> this just feels like cruel and unusual punishment. Oh, he... I... Thank you so much, Rob. I do, I think like Spanx and, and um, 
push up bras and, and things that, that they're sort of false advertising. Because then when the person hey, Rob, comes you look home good. with you, the poor you look good, Rob. man, good. that poor man was really eager to do that spot. You guys, please give a warm round wow. of applause for Rob Lathan. He's a very funny comedian. Wait, I'm sorry. Why? Why? Why is why is why is Spanx false advertising? I just feel like why look like who you aren't, and then the person comes home with you, they're gonna notice. Like it just seems like. Okay, that's very, I, I don't know, you're, you're going down a whole Bridget, like, Jones Road here, isn't it? What is it? Bridget, is it that, is that her name? Right? Like, when she's like, oh, I'm wearing my fat underwear. First of all, I, I mean, I actually believe in the power of Spanx. I believe in slimmers and all of that stuff. I think they do great, wonderful things that actually kind of smooth out lumps and bumps when you want them to. But if you're going on a date, don't wear them if you're worried that you're going to bring that person home and you're all self-conscious about it. I mean, it's, it's called pre-planning. <laughs> Well, I want to um, thank you for coming onto the show. I will, <laughs> I will plan better in my future. I did. I know you love cats. So ah! I got you cat fancy. I love cat fancy. <laughs> thank you very, thank very you. much to Stacey London. Here's the truth about style. Please give her a warm. I gotta get spanks, huh? Um, I think I gotta get spanks after seeing Robin. I know. I just feel like, like, whatever. Be yourself. Be comfortable in it. But okay. So the next guest, I before she comes out, I would like to, um, just in case people don't know who she is, I wanted to show a video of her early work. This is from a what lifetime about, you have a guy in your life. Yes, I do. I have a boyfriend. Yeah. Why? I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. No, so I'm married. See, all right. Yeah, we're so noisy. We really. <laughs> you have are. an Italian husband? Of course. I don't see. I don't go out with Italian men. No. Now Why? their attitude is, you'll go get the ravioli. Get your own damn ravioli. <laughs> Frank, That's yes. right. Frank is like that. I don't What's like that. What's for dinner? No, yes. no, 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 no. Them, they got the, what do I look like, Mama Leone? <laughs> <laughs> I like Jewish men. Do you? You do? Does yeah. A skinny Jewish guy with an astigmatism. This is my type. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The kind of guy you say, Leonard, get the check, and they jump. <laughs> That's what I like. You know that kind of guy that holds your pocketbook at Lowman's while you shop? <laughs> Yes. You say, Morty, read the paper. I'll be back in four and a half hours. <laughs> this is what I like. And he does. And they sit there nicely. Don't give me any trouble. Oh, God, you are funny. That's what I like. What is... <laughs> I love that show. It looks like a, uh, a parody from SNL. It was called Attitudes. It was on Lifetime. You can watch it on YouTube. Um, without further ado, let's welcome Ms. Joy Behar. my hair straightened for that episode. <laughs> Everyone should actually watch the full episode because it really is like you're talking to this SNL parody, but you're so, you did this great jokes about being a teacher. Yeah. It was very funny. Yeah. I wanted to give you this because I know people always confuse you with being Jewish and you're not, and so I wanted to give you a, an official certificate as a member of the tribe. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, I, thank you, thank you. You are now officially a member nice. of the tribe. I was actually the Hadassah woman of the year one time. <laughs> 
and I, you know, I was like, excuse me, I'm not Jewish. They were like, what? Sorry. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> um, yeah. Like one of the many things I admired was that you talked about politics on mainstream television. It's never been done before. Really? Yeah. It was a really, really big thing to have. I don't think it was done on attitudes. You're talking about the view? On the view. Oh, on the view. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was a huge deal. Well, we had a very nice run in uh, during the time when Obama was running against uh, John McCain. And um, I, it was, I felt, felt it was my duty to elect Obama. <laughs> I just felt I had a, I had a, I must do this because I had the forum. So I did whatever I could to help him. I, I feel like there are very few people outside of you and Whoopi who, who went on mainstream TV and did that. I'm sure a lot of people voted for him, but they didn't necessarily yeah. explain why in such accessible well, terms. Well, the minute you give an opinion, you know, half the country hates you. You realize that. No, I've never been on anything. Well, that's my tip stage. to you, Katie. <laughs> well, as you go along in the show business, if you give your opinion, you will lose half the audience. How do you stay genuine in a conversation with someone where you don't take them seriously or you think they're an idiot or, or just had a fight with them the day before? And I'm not specifically talking about Elizabeth Hasselback, but I just mean in general. <laughs> Well, you really threw that one at me. Um, she's fine. You know, she has to do her job. She's a Republican. I can't hold that against the girl. That's what she believes. And, uh, you know, we would fight and then we'd talk about, you know, oh, I love your shoes. It's fine. You know, we didn't really hate each other. Everybody thought we did, but we didn't. I'm glad you're getting off before they have a new science fiction expert coming on, Jenna McCarthy. <laughs> I hope they can vaccinate us from her is my only <laughs> hope. Um, it was so... <laughs> I know this is going to be on YouTube, so I'm not saying anything controversial. Well, I think that's a smart way to go. Your um, assistant was so nice and asked me um, if there was a limo that could take you to the show, and I thought that was she a, did, yes. a, adorable. Yeah. Um, and you said, we don't have any fucking budget, okay? <laughs> um, so what I wanted to get you, now that you're leaving your very fancy plum job on The View, is a Metro yeah. card and a map Thank of you. New York. I need that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I use this. I have one that, you know, that has unlimited rides. I use it all the time. You know? Oh, you should keep that. Well, take then, the oh, bus. Then we'll take this one because that, that yeah, costs a dollar. Really, I have one. Now to replace those. I don't have one. So I don't want to lose that one. Okay. Um, Susie Essman, who is one of your best friends, yeah. um, spoke so eloquently about how you were always good to other female comedians and that you really taught her to not feel threatened and not worry about that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, was that, how do you deal with your own jealousy or, or annoyance when someone gets something that you think Voodoo dolls. Voodoo dolls. <laughs> Um, well, you know, they're out there. There are uh, many people out there who are funnier or maybe they're funnier that day and then the next day you're funnier and, you know, they're, they're prettier, they're thinner, they're, they're more intelligent. They're more, there's always somebody out it. there. I got Thanks, Mom. You get it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so what can you do about it? What can you do? You know, you can't be jealous of right. them because they go along their lives having a wonderful time and then you're sitting home being jealous. So you can't really spend time with that. Life is too short. But what I felt so lucky about um, is having heard that from you and her speaking at the 92 
why when I was starting of don't look at the other woman on the bill. Look at the 15 other men. Well, yeah. That's who you should be fighting with instead of the other women. And I, I yeah. love that you guys sent that message very clearly yeah. um, to Bansford. Well, if you notice, the boys do support each other. And they, they move along much faster because of that. Jerry Seinfeld is friends yes. with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Colin Quinn and yes. helped him put his show together. And, and you know, there's a million examples like that. And friends with Jim Norton and, yeah. and all of yeah. those guys. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Um, are you relieved to be done with The View? Yes. <laughs> yes, I put in my time. Yeah, you did. I drained every ounce of everything I could get out of that show. You know, they sent me makeup. I used every bit of it. <laughs> um, you know, stuff. I, I did very nicely there. I, you know, and I'm done with it now. I want to do something different now. So I, I read that you were thinking about doing playwriting. Yes. What would you like to write, or what are you working on? Well, I'm working on one show that was uh, sort of came to me as an idea because most of my girlfriends are divorced. Are you divorced? I haven't gotten on a date first yet to get married. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. But when you do, you will be divorced at some point. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel because like that's the way it goes. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you talked to my mom before this. <laughs> um, and so all of my friends are divorced. Okay. You know, or, uh, mostly all of them. And you just got married a year ago. Yeah, but I'm divorced for to an okay. another You already another had one. it on your, I had, on your I did badge. That, on that whole thing in my first half of my life. So, um, so I started thinking about all the interesting stories that people have about their first husbands. So I started interviewing women about uh, their first husbands. So now I have, and then I took what they wrote, they said, I interviewed them the way you're interviewing me. They talked, 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 talked for hours. And then I transcribed it personally myself. It's such, it's hard, And I'm right? an excellent typist, unlike oh. Janine Garofalo. <laughs> I actually know how to type. <laughs> My generation learned to type in junior high school, okay? And, um, and you were you were an, an assistant at GMA at Good Morning America. I was a receptionist, receptionist at Good Morning America. America. Well, first I was a high school English teacher. Yes. And uh, yes, I taught um, I taught high school equivalency, and I taught in high school English in Rhode Island. Not Janine was not in my class though. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting the, the degrees of separation, eh? and, among other things. <laughs> yes. Um, so where was I? What was I talking about? You were t talking about transcribing because you're going to be oh, a playwright. So I transcribed. That's right. So I transcribed all the monologue, the what the, the verbiage. Oh, some people say verbiage. The word is verbiage. Okay. Um, the one the thing that bothers me the most is when people say I feel badly. That drives me out of my fucking tree. <laughs> because it is not. You don't feel badly any more than you feel sadly. <laughs> yeah. Nor all do you right. feel poorly. You can feel you can feel poorly because well, you can't because from the money from the view. That's right. You can. can feel poor. You can feel poorly. I don't feel either right now. I don't feel richly either. <laughs> really? No. So it doesn't pay as much as you think. <laughs> How much does it pay? Like, Everybody gets a different salary. Like six or seven or eight digits. I don't even know what that means. Like, my salary has two digits in it. <laughs> Mine does not have two digits. I, I already did the two-digit life, okay? Okay. I think you deserve whatever you're getting. I was just Thank curious. So anyway, I I, anyway, I just transcribed these people's speeches, what they said, and I turned them into monologues that yeah. sound dramatic, and now we're going to 
possibly produce it. I have a director, and we're going to do that. Yeah, you know how the vagina monologues Yeah, were. and yeah. also Judy Gold did a, a wonderful play about, she spoke to different moms. Oh, you had to be a Jewish mother. Yes, and it was excellent. Yes. And she's this, a good friend of mine, too. She's fabulous. Very funny. And um, so this has a similar uh, feel to me that it will be really interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask you, because I know you do drama therapy. Psychodrama. Psychodrama. Can you, would you be able to lead us in a psychodrama? That sounds like I just asked you to do something crazy. But Would I, you I, like me to, to conduct a psychodrama? Can, do we, in, can we do it in like a couple minutes? <laughs> I was so intrigued that you do that. I thought that I was need so chairs. Cool. I need okay. chairs. Um, we'll get you and who, who wants to do it? You have to... We have a chair Who has right an here? issue? Who has an issue? Somebody uh, has to have an issue. I have an issue. I'll, what's I'll your say. issue? You do it. You're the protagonist. Okay. Okay, so what's your issue? What's bugging you? Okay, so I like a boy. <laughs> yeah. I'll put my shrink glasses on. <laughs> yeah. And he, he um, is a doctor, uh, but he's also... Gee, a, a Jewish girl who's interested in a doctor. What a shock. I mean, but he's a stoner. <laughs> he what? He's a stoner. A stoner and a doctor. Yeah, and he... Oh, that's safe. Yeah. <laughs> and he... <laughs> I'm going retroactive. And he wants to... And he wants... I'm going retroactive in that I did date this person. And he wants to cheat on his exam... For, to be for his but new. This is not. This is not. This is an ethicist problem, oh, not a psychodrama. Okay. okay, here. Let me do another one. What's a psychodrama question? <laughs> well, well, like I don't know. You have to come with a presenting. I need issue. a job. Is that a good? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I'm running. Well, give me an example of well, a problem. Did you have a fight with someone today? No. Are you jealous of someone? Yes. Who? I'm jealous of Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. Both of them? Yeah. Why? I would date either one, even though I'm, I'm straight, but I would go either way. Why, why are you <laughs> jealous of them? Uh, because, I, oh, this is good. Uh, they're very talented and funny and interesting and gorgeous. So what? Yeah. So what? A lot of people are. Why them? They don't even speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm jealous of those two women with those crazy hats. I think so too. (laughs) Let's bring. You guys want to stand up? So maybe my resolution should be that I should be more jealous of things versus people. No, you should not be jealous of anything except those two women. Okay. (laughs) Can you describe the women for a podcast audience to hear? Oh, um, well, they're wearing like um, stand up, flying saucers on their heads. This Red. young lady is sporting a stunning uh, black outfit. I love your and, outfit. And a foot, a foot um, brace of a, some sort. A foot brace, well, yes. A foot brace and is a that, was tomato that an, soup uh, Was that an injury or did you, is that part of the uh, ensemble? <laughs> Marilyn Monroe? What is um, she talking about? I don't, I don't know, but you <laughs> wanted to go there. Um, Joy Behar, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so, Thank so you much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for doing this show. Congratulations. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month Show. Please go to employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com to subscribe to the podcast, find out about other live tapings that you can attend. And I want to thank Joel Arnold, who edits this podcast together, as well as uh, Megan Deenan, Ian Mazoff, Mindy Tucker, who took such beautiful photographs, Brian Fountain, and Trevor Williams, who uh, did a wonderful videotape of Petunia. He directed a great sketch there. And to all of you, thank you so much for listening. 
please get outside. You may be outside listening to this right now. And if it's cold out, put a sweater on. <laughs>